Hello and welcome to Community Quest episode 266. I'm your host, Mike. I can't think of anything clever or apps. And with me as always. Crossing the Moon River in style, David Bernie, Ben Lasser. Damn, that's clever. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Okay. <laughs> Was that? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, Bayonetta 3 is apparently up. Yeah, uh, that came out of nowhere. So the ESRB rating was actually leaked a few day a day or so ago. Okay. Uh, which, like, for those not too familiar with the process, the game's got to be really close to done to actually submit for an ESRB rating because the developers have to be fairly certain that no aspect of its, no like potentially objectionable aspect of its content is going to change. Like if those, if that, because if that happens, they have to resubmit it and pay for the SRB rating again. Not fun. Don't want to bother with that. <clears throat> so, uh, a few days ago, people caught that the ESRB had posted the rating for this. Unsurprisingly, M didn't see any chance of that not being. Oh my God! This is the most shocking. No, okay, it's not shocking in the least. Yeah, it's as expected. But uh, when I saw that, all I could think was, oh, this is their October game. And <clears throat> sure enough. Because, I mean, like, it's it's the witch-themed game. Yeah. Well, it's funny, because yeah. I, I logged on to Twitter this morning, and at the top of my feed was a tweet that just said, like, Ayanetta or something. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then trending Nintendo Direct, I was like, what is going on? <laughs> So the past few days, we've actually seen Nintendo announcing a few things. Yeah, uh, a weird but, Kirby game. Yeah, I've got a Kirby game that's like a weird mix of the gourmet race from Superstar and Fall Guys. <clears throat> and now this. And what that all together leads me to believe is that something that was maybe going to be the centerpiece of like a prime of a Nintendo Direct got delayed like please don't be Zelda. something please don't be Zelda. please don't be so <laughs> i mean Zelda's not coming up this year i know i know but yeah like uh something got delayed and so like suddenly they like this is all speculation there's there's nothing to back this up but that third party direct certainly had a lot of stuff that you would normally see floating around some major first party announcements and they mm -hmm. clearly had some major first-party announcements. Like, here's a new Kirby game. Like, and it's not a, like, uh, it, it's a download Kirby game, but it's still a new Kirby game. Here is Bayonetta 3, this game that we've been, <clears throat> you know, that's been uh, anticipated in some level for, like, five years at this point. Those are the kinds of things you would normally get at a Direct. Like, I could totally have seen a mid-June Direct that's like, Bayonetta 3 coming out in October. Like that, I could totally see that having been the intention at some point, and <clears throat> then it uh, didn't. Like presumably, they would have also had here's more footage of Splatoon two, which I think is slowly leaked, uh, not leaked out, but been uh, trickled out as well. Like you know, probably well, probably not much about Pokemon Scarlet Violet. Those usually get their own direct, but you know, the, the point stands. Like it, it sounds like something that was likely meant to be the centerpiece 
of a first-party direct got delayed, and they did not want to deal with the bad press that comes with a first-party direct that's missing something someone expects to be there. <clears throat> and so they made it a third-party direct and are trickling out the announcements that might have been at a first-party direct. That would be my personal guess as to what's going on. Makes sense. <laughs> makes but logical hey, sense. Makes business sense. <clears throat> but hey, Bayonetta. Yeah. Um, uh, didn't really need any more games to put on my wallet the rest of this year, but I'll take it. Nintendo was not going to have a month where they didn't have a game. That's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Bayonetta launches as close to Halloween as it can be. Yeah. yeah, I have played a lot of Bayonetta 2, but I never actually beat it on the Wii U because I was a stubborn idiot, so I'm going to have to beat that before <laughs> October now. So yeah. so yeah, as I was telling you, I'll tell the audience, uh, I got mocked for getting many stone statue in Bayonetta that 1. Was me. It was me that did that. Yes, so while playing Bayonetta I 2, sick. I was determined to finish every level with at least whatever the minimum is, like, br- or like a bronze. bronze yeah. So there was <clears throat> one stage I just could not, could not do it. <laughs> I, I forget why. I think it, uh, I think a, it was some stage with a chase sequence or something that was annoying. I, I don't remember, but hmm. I just kept trying to Honestly, do it I'd instead of playing. Slack on a stage that's like built on gimmick. Yeah, so like I can't do well on the space area stages in Bayonetta One. But yeah, I was stubborn and didn't just continue playing the game. So yeah, I mean, I could just go back to the Wii U and like finish where I left off. But I feel like at this point, I should just play through. It's been too the, long. It's been too long. I need to just start fresh on the Switch. Hmm. But yeah, this, uh, I'm so glad that Nintendo decided to just sort of adopt the Bayonetta franchise. Yeah. Adopt Bayonetta and turn it into a franchise, really. Because... Yeah. But yeah, Bayonetta 3, uh, for those unaware, uh, appears to be uh, scavenging a bunch of ideas from the cancelled Xbox One game Scalebound, which... Uh, the, the current director for Bayonetta, for Bayonetta 3, who's been the director seemingly for about the last three years, uh, <clears throat> was the lead designer on Scalebound before it was canceled. Hmm. So, Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, as I, a I really wanted of... Scalebound to be a thing that would happen. <laughs> well, it, it looked, yeah. Um, yeah, apparently the big issue with it was it was seemingly just too ambitious for the hardware. So... Yeah, kind of tragic. I was going to say, a nice little announcement they threw in, too, is they're finally doing a wider release of Bayonetta 1 on Switch as a physical release, which does exist, I know, because I I have it. Spent way too much on it. I don't think it existed in the U.S. No, it was Europe and Japan only as part of a collector's edition with a really nice steelbook case, which I have. And again, I spend way too much money on uh, and now Bayonetta 3 is getting a really nice set, a yes. set of cases that form a panorama. Yeah, I need that. I need that. But I yeah. want that real bad, but also it comes out in October, and I have, like, I'm trying to save for a vacation in October, <sighs> so I probably can't justify it. 
But yeah, more people will be able to get that. Uh, I was almost like, well, do I sell this now and get that version? And then I, I looked at the download version of Bayonetta and realized it's still 1.0, so there's never been any patches for it. So there's, it would be incredibly stupid for me to like try and get another cartridge of it. Yeah, it's, like it's not moron. like there's like an updated version. Yeah. Or... Same thing for Bayonetta <laughs> 2, actually. They, they never had to patch either of them on Switch. Yeah, those seem to have launched just as rock solid as possible. Yeah. Which is nice. So yeah, you all you should get that. I will not be stupid. I will. I have it, and I will stay with that copy. Do you want to talk about Sega's like weird part of an announcement? <laughs> yeah, that was weird. So there is a Sega Genesis Mini Two. Yeah, that's like it's. It seems like it's focused on like weird hardcore obscurities. It has some Sega CD games in it. Yeah, it has, it has stuff like Alien Soldier. It has Sonic 3D Blast, which is not a good game. Yeah, uh, like I like all love to the guy who directed it. He seems like a very nice man, but uh, it, and he, he would also acknowledge that it's not great. But um, yeah, like it's. Sonic 3D Blast is a curio and honestly functionally a sequel to an extremely boring arcade game called Flicky. <laughs> but yeah, just like there's there's no reason to go back to that. But you know, like the the rest of the lineup thus far, uh, especially on the Japanese one, is very interesting. It has things like Popful now. I don't think on. we're getting Popful now. Like I so th this was an official U.S. announcement for this Sega Genesis Mini Two. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's seemingly shipping and being sold only through Amazon Japan. No, I think there's I think there's actually a link in. I think you can actually order it from regular Amazon, although it ships from Japan anyway. Yeah, like right. you're you're still paying like the import duty of like twenty dollars. Yeah. It's not cheap. <laughs> yeah, for a machine that's already a uh, hundred dollars, it's kind of. It's getting to be a little spendy for what it is. Yeah. And, like, I, I respect that there's a lot of games on this, apparently. Uh, let me see what's actually been listed. I, guess... there are, there... hmm? I was just going to say, the, the shine on these little mini consoles is just, like, like worn off for me, though. Yeah, I can see that. My, my Like, my favorite of them was the Turbo Mini that no one got. Yeah, I wish I got that one. That would have been cool. It's like that one has all sorts of games that I don't have anywhere. So I can't get. Yeah. Plus else. you get. Plus it'd be like a controller I've never really used, so it would be. Oh yeah, and those it would be really, are really nice. Yeah, it'd be really ones. cool. Curiosity. Whereas like the Super Nintendo Mini, it's like this doesn't have a lot of games. And the ones it has are really good. I barely I play this. Yeah, it's yeah, like so. I, you know I. I have more SNES games on the Wii and Wii U through virtual consoles, so it just ultimately the thing like that the, they the just Switch does... Online has ultimately I think. And that's yeah. kind of why Nintendo stopped doing it. But and kind of the same thing for the the Genesis one for me. It was like I could can get so I, many of these things everywhere else. Well, that and it's like I can go through the trouble of plugging this stupid thing in, or I can insert my Genesis collection into the xbox and play way more genesis games there there are some neat curios on the first genesis menu there's like that weird darius port uh, and weird tetris port that barely exists so 
it, it's it's a novelty, and it has to be remembered that it is a novelty. Yeah. I just I just wish instead of like okay these are the games that are on it and that's it it's they it could... was like a bespoke little online service right right I feel like there is room for that kind of object but I don't know like I it, there's there's some reticence and like that people saw the NES menu and decided that, that was the only way these could be done so I think yeah. that was a bit limiting unnecessarily. Yeah, the especially things... considering how much that stupid little thing ended up going for when it <laughs> flew off the shelves. Oh yeah, 100%. Uh, so, so to look, look at what's been announced for this, because I believe it's stated to have over 50 games. We don't have anywhere near all of those. But to look at what's actually been stated. So we've got Afterburner 2. That's a pretty good Genesis port of a better arcade game. I wish they would just sell me Afterburner. Yeah. Um, Alien Soldier. That's that's an incredible game. Thankfully, you can just get it on Switch Online if you have the expansion pack. It's way too fucking hard for most people, but it is a really, really neat game. Uh, Bonanza Brothers? don't think I've ever met someone who was really over the moon about Bonanza Brothers, but... Uh, I mean, it's, it's a cute enough game. <laughs> uh... Fantasy Zone, which is a new Genesis port, but I mean, Fantasy Zone is one of the most ubiquitously ported Sega games of the older era. There's so many, so many ports of Fantasy Zone, and you can also get the arcade version. I don't even like Fantasy Zone. <laughs> I do, and it's just like I don't need like you know you know what's a weirder, rarer game that they don't re-release that often? Fantasy Zone Two. <laughs> Uh, here's a, another part of Fantasy Zone 1 um, Lightning Force aka Thunder Force 4 which uh, hardcore shooter fans tend to dig Thunder Force although I think Thunder Force 3 is generally preferred but you know it's a neat game it doesn't get re-released that often then we get to the weird shit Mansion of Hidden Souls never heard of it that is a Sega CD FMV adventure game oh god that was thank you limited run games from Making everyone care about the stupid things again. It's not that Jerks. kind of a adventure game. It's it's more like a mist style of the adventure. Game. Oh, okay, that's better. That's better. Um, that's better. Never mind. I retract yeah. my previous statement. Uh, Night Strikers, which I believe another Sega CD game. I believe it's a beat 'em up. Some description. Uh, extremely obscure. I don't. I I know one person. Who re oh it's a shoot 'em up. Okay. Excuse me. Oh wait, no, I know this thing. Okay, no. I, I was conflating it with Night Slashers. <laughs> uh Night Strikers is a Sega C D uh like shooter think in the mode of like uh it, it doesn't actually play like this, but if you looked at like uh Space Harrier and said, What if you were in a like dark city in a flying car. That's kind of what you're thinking of. <laughs> if, I, if I really wanted to get obscure, I would have said, what if Panorama Cup, but you were in a flying car? <laughs> and that would have been for no one. But uh, Ninja Warriors, not the good one. <laughs> so the, the good Ninja Warriors is the Ninja Warriors again on the Super Nintendo, and its sequel, uh, the Ninja Warriors once again, aka the Ninja uh, the Ninja Saviors, Return of the Warriors. 
Uh, those are the good ones. The Ninja Warriors on Sega CD is kind of a straight part of a very mediocre beat 'em up the title. Uh, I don't. I don't think there's many people on this earth that care that much about that Ninja Warriors, but it's available, so and it's rarely collected, so I'll give it that. <sighs> Genesis version of Outrun. There's really no reason to play this. Uh -huh. The arcade version of Outrun is ubiquitous. I own like 12 copies because it's in like five Yakuza games. Gold medal! Sorry. Congrats. Continue. Um, and it's a trophy. Oh no, wait. No, it's medals in two. Uh-huh. But yeah, uh, Outrunners. I would be really excited if this was the arcade game. It is not the arcade game. <laughs> uh, Outrunners is a really, really cool arcade game that has never had a home port in any meaningful fashion. The only, like the Genesis version claims to be Outrunners. It looks and plays nothing like it, and kind of sucks. Um, Rainbow Islands Extra. Uh, probably the least of the Bubble Bobble spinoffs. I would argue that I prefer uh, Bubble Bobble and Parasol Stars to Rainbow Island. Uh, Rainbow Island is fine. It's not a bad game. Uh, there's a lot to like about it, but I, it's not something I can get super excited about because I'd really rather be playing Parasol Stars, which came on my tour graphics mm -hmm. me. Um, Rolling Thunder 2. Uh, I think I know three people that are very excited about Rolling Thunder in, as a general concept. But it's, it's a weird inclusion. Uh, Shining Force CD. That's kind Yay. of one of the big ones. Uh, for those unaware, Shining Force CD was, I believe, a combination of two different Game Gear Shining Force games remade to a higher, like Genesis yes. standard with a CD soundtrack. It's the first two, not the third one that most people really like. <laughs> as far as well, as far as um, uh, because it ties better into like Shining Force Two. Like it, like it's a more obvious like connected right. game, I guess. Yeah. Whereas the other two These... are the other two, the first two actually connect to each other, so it makes sense that they're. It makes sense to package them together. Right, and and it's a nice collection. It's nice to have that because anyone that played Shining Force on the Game Gear in the U.S. knows that the first game never actually came came here. So playing that one, game is just orphan. And it was called Shining Force Two on the Game Gear. So I guess they just wanted to give the impression it was a port of the Genesis game. Or I think Here. so, but when you play it, it's very obvious that you're missing part of the story, which is, you know, Shining the first Force game. fans in America would have to get used to that idea. Yes, yes, we would. <laughs> That's translated now. If you haven't played them, you should. Yes, play Shining Force Three. Yeah. Um, I actually haven't finished trilogy myself. It's, it's a lot of games. Well, the see so here's the problem. It's been so long that I need to, I have to play through the first part again, and it's hard to force myself to go through that yet again. <laughs> we'll make so a project. It, yeah, it's, well, yeah. <laughs> I need some kind of driving force to make me do that. But yeah. Oh, some sort of Dragon Force? Dragon Force 2? No, Driving driving Force. Driving Force. But yeah, I, I have played Shining Force CD before. It's um, it's it's harder, I think, to play those on a console than it would have been 
to play them on Game Gear because on Game Gear you accept that they're... Like they cut out like the town exploration, I think. They, yeah, they cut out any sort of exploration. It's only the battles and towns are a menu. Which uh, makes it much more in line with what you're used to for strategy RPGs, but makes Shining Force less unique by that. Right. <laughs> so on Game Gear, it was fine because it's like this is, you know, it's... It's the portable version. Right. But on uh, Sega CD, it's kind of harder to accept, but they do... They are nice ports. They look nice. You know, they're fine, but I I can't... If that's the only game you're interested on this system, don't spend the money. Don't do, do not it. spend $120 for Shining Force. Don't do it. <laughs> okay. Um, we're, we're not quite done with the things that are on this. There's also Shining in the Darkness that is, I believe, available on almost every... Oh, God. That game's not very a... good. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's just a pretty okay. mediocre wizardry-esque game. Yeah. Uh, the pseudo-sequel to that is much better. Finding the Holy Ark? Yes, and a game... A game I still, after all these years, am waiting for someone to make a first-person dungeon crawler that's like that, and it hasn't happened. Has we'll happened because I don't know yeah. what makes the Let's game. let's finish this and then we'll go back to that because I'll explain to you why it's different from other first-person dungeon crawlers. Gotcha. So we got uh, Sophie, which was a fairly well-liked uh, a uh, shooter uh, with FMV backgrounds because it was the Sega CD and that was the time. Uh, let me double check who actually published this because like one of the things that's conspicuous by its absence in the english release list is popful mail which has been announced in japan and uh has absolutely no uh which ha yeah hasn't been announced for uh yeah hasn't been announced for Eng the english version and thus presumably won't be on there uh presumably the issue is uh working designs retain some sort of copyright on that translation and so they decided to just replace the game but yeah selfie which working designs published later games in that series they did not publish selfie interesting uh, let me check there's one other game that was really uh was uh announced for uh, Japanese one that has not been announced for the English one, and that appears to be Starblade, which is a like rail shooter game. Uh, so that one's not in the English version either. Uh, Sonic 3 Blast, we already discussed. Sonic CD, there's a lot of ways to play this, and most of them are honestly probably better than the original Sega CD release. Uh, the uh, mobile port has generally become the version that Sega releases, but you also have the option of playing it on... There's the old PC version, which was used as the basis for the version in Sonic Gems collection on GameCube. But really, like, the issue is, with the, the Sega CD version, you don't have the choice of soundtracks that you'll get in the modern version. Uh, you don't have, like, the additional features of the modern versions. And... You actually have like worse uh, audio and FMV quality than you'll get even in the GameCube version. So there's just 
there's not a lot of reason to play that other than historical curiosity. It sucks. Um, Sonic CD is fine. Don't be mean. Oh, um, sorry. I wasn't paying attention. I was watching Bayonet. I thought you were talking about 3D Blast. <laughs> no, no. Uh, let's see. Uh, Splatterhouse 2. Which is uh, cool looking. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Splatterhouse fans tend to be real diehard, but uh, I, I don't see there being a lot of reason for someone who's not already. You can you can look at like a screenshot of Splatterhouse two and know exactly how much you want to play it. Uh, I think this might also be on the Switch expansion pack, but let me check. Uh, just to be just to be sure I'm not uh, telling lies. Um, no, it doesn't appear to be, but I could see it coming there. Also, a Splatterhouse 3 that is also seemingly not on this object. Uh, people who care about Splatterhouse seem to like 2 the best, but yeah. Uh, something called Starmobile, which was originally a PC Engine game. This is like a new port to it. I don't port of it. Sega seems obsessed with doing this. Like they, they I guess they want to match the wow factor of like, hey, Star Fox 2 is officially getting released. They want <laughs> they want that kind of uh thing. But like most of the time what they put out is, hey, we've randomly ported something that you can get on like some other system to the Genesis. And it's like, I mean that's cute. I don't know why you bothered, but I mean, okay. Well that was like the hold on, that was a fun an Alex the Kid joke in Bayonetta. You owe Alex the Kid for the charter. Ah, uh, good old Alex the Kid. There's like one good Alex Kid game. Um, oh, uh, random aside, I forced my kid to see he's not doing any camp or anything this summer to play some good. Sega Genesis games for historical purposes, so I made him play... <laughs> I can't believe you would do that. Okay. You made him play a Chad Castle. I'm going to call it Sophia, the Child Protective Services. We're going to play Alex the Kid in the Genesis Collection. He's like bashing it. And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm making fun of your childhood. I'm like, I've never played this game. <laughs> I was doing this to hurt you, child. I didn't have a Genesis until Sonic was out. It was very thoughtful of your child to apologize to you. <laughs> oh, no, he said it in a sarcastic manner. <laughs> and then but he yeah, then I he like... played Streets of Rage and got bored, and that was that. That's that's fair. The first uh, the I first one. It's yeah, I can, I can see how that would happen. You need two players to make the first one really shine. Is it two and three that are better? Two is amazing. Three is kind of not amazing. Okay. Bare Knuckle Three, which is the Japanese version, is a significant improvement. But uh, the soundtrack kind of sucks, uh, no matter what version you play, which kind of hurts it. But yeah, uh, okay, going down this list to get to the rest. Uh, Super Hang On. Uh, this is the kind of game that you generally got in some sort of multi-cart that said you would pack in with your Genesis when you purchased it after a few years on the market, and you played it for four minutes and were like, "Oh, that's cute," and then you never played it again. <laughs> it's me. That's I'm, I'm the one that happened to. Uh, it's fine uh, it's got some decent tunes that's about 
all I can say for it. It's not super interesting in the modern age unless you really dig old racing games, like real old racing games, because Super Hang On is kind of a barely, uh, a barely upgraded version of the arcade Hang On, which was from like 1985. So, meh. Not, yeah, pretty meh. Um, the Ooze, uh, that has some sort of cult following. The what? The Ooze. Uh, Vector Man 2. Curiously, Vector Man 2. Uh, was Vector Man 1 on the first one? I can only assume it was. I guess. I had Vector Man 2. It's, the first one's not amazing, and the second one's worse. Uh, <laughs> they're not terrible games, but they're the kinds of games that after 1995, they just... You really need to care about history to want to go back to them. Because, like, Vector Man 2 has... And Vector Man 1 and 2 both have this kind of weird sickly camera that's constantly like the second you move in a direction it has to teeter on back in that direction and kind of makes the game obnoxious to look at uh, Vector Man was very much uh, Sega's sort of answer to Donkey Kong Country it's like here we can do pre-rendered graphics as well like that kind of thing and the issue with pre-rendered graphics is that you know, there's a lot of arguments, but they never age well. And I disagree. I think Donkey Kong Country is still like a cool-looking game. You need a lot of colors to yeah. make them work, and the Genesis color palette is not great. No. I believe it's like 64 on-screen colors. It's a really small number. It, it's like a number that's dwarfed by the Turbo Graphics. Excuse me. Yeah, I mean, early, early on, the Genesis could hold up with a lot of earlier SNES games, but as time went on, like the advantages just were incredibly clear. But yeah, um, yeah, and virtual racing, which is a port that's historically interesting and impressive and it's the only use of Sega's essentially answer to the Super FX chip, the SVP-1. Uh, but honestly, if you were going to bother, why didn't you, like, if you would if you were going to bother doing, like, a weird old version of virtual racing, I'd have rather they'd worked out, instead of emulating how to, working out how to emulate the SVP-1, I'd rather they'd worked out how to emulate the 32X and throw in Virtual Racing Deluxe, which has unique tracks in it that no other version of virtual racing has didn't bother no. yeah i i There's, don't i don't understand this collection this entire collection don't. strikes me as it's for like the obsessive genesis fan like the like i can when i look at the list of announced games i suddenly realize why they aren't giving this a wide release. Yeah. And are just doing because it's like when you hear it like, oh, Stacky Genesis 2 with more stuff, and then you actually look at what's in it and it's like, oh, oh okay, sure. <laughs> I guess. If you must. I mean, I'd be interested in more of like a Sega CD collection that this just seems yeah. like. Yeah. Because, like, the thing, the killer app that would suddenly make this thing make sense is Snatcher, and they're not going to do Snatcher. Yeah. Because there's no Japanese version of Sega CD Snatcher. <laughs> <laughs> None at all. 
but yeah, like like what they've announced so far, it's just there's just not enough here. Like it's there's not a key title or, or even a key set of titles that are like, oh, this is really cool and underappreciated. This doesn't come out very often. Or like, there's all sorts of things that like, you know, you. This feels like all they've announced are the odds and ends you would use to fill out a collection rather than any of the centerpieces. So, I mean, it's cute. I'm glad that they're paying attention to some largely underserved history. But uh, it's, it's, not, it's not... It doesn't look essential, I'll put it that way. Oh, hey, Last Sim, last sim is on chat. He's, um... Oh, hey. I tried to play Victor Man once inside the PS2 Genesis collection, but I don't think it grabbed me. I don't think it grabbed anyone, Zim, so I'm surprised there's even a two. Uh I it was it was a popular game at the time, but it was really? a very nineteen ninety five game. It was packed in with a bunch of Genesis that were sold late in the Genesis. Uh, like they pushed that game hard. But yeah, like it's one of those things. Like there was actually an attempt to revive Vector Man on the PS2. I don't think anyone remembers this. It was canceled. But uh, Pseudo Interactive uh, announced a uh, a Genesis uh, Pseudo Interactive announced not a Genesis a PS2 remake of. Vector Man that you can see some trailers floating around of. It didn't get. It was it was really built around like terrain deformation. It was them trying to carve out a. Uh, it was really trying to carve out some kind of identity for it, and that kind of. They they settled on I guess, uh, terrain deformation. The the game honestly looks like I can kind of see why they didn't why it got cancelled midstream um, but yeah no, I, I know some people who very much at the time liked uh, who, who very much at the time liked Vector Man uh, your friend and, my, and mine beat uh, liked Vector Man at the time okay. uh, by his own recollection but it's one of those things where like he, he would admit there's not a lot of things that would draw someone back to it unless they were nostalgic for it but yeah um, yeah so we've got yeah and, th and that's all they've announced uh, I think that's like 20 titles I think they're promising like 50 so there's there's a lot of room for there to be something on there that wows us but I mean not expecting if, it yeah I'm not expecting it because and, you know, Hope Springs Eternal only because Sega is often very weird about how they uh, often does weird own goals about their own PR. And uh, the way I would describe it is that um, the, uh, like, if, if any company was going to announce this kind of object and then fail to put their strongest material forward, I would expect it to be Sega. <laughs> but yeah, uh, as it stands, eh, I'm like reading that list of games cured me of any desire to own this option. <laughs> oh, Sega. Which, uh, the company we love and don't love <laughs> in equal measure. 
Yeah, I wonder if the Japanese version will have Rent a Hero number one. Like you Remember Rent a Hero? I do not. It's uh, it's like a Sega Genesis RPG that didn't come out in English, but uh, oh. its gimmick is that you're a guy who orders a pizza and is somehow delivered a superhero outfit, and you just sort of do random odd jobs for people. <laughs> Because why not? It had an Xbox remake that uh, was so far, so close to being finished in its English release that they uh, sent review copies out. Wow. And then they canceled it. Oh. <laughs> but the, the game has leaked. You can play the Xbox version of Rent Hero number one on your modded Xbox or whatever. Nice. Right, I'm just getting a message. I was going to ask um, Popful Mail is the Sega CD version, right? I think you said it yeah, was before. It's yeah. Like, is is no there... Okay, I I know there's like a Super Nintendo version, so that's why I was, was not sure. Mm. Yeah, no. There, there was only ever a 6 version okay. of Pop Mail. And that's the only version we ever got. Yeah, uh, and, infamously, and infamously, Sega almost uh, tried to localize it as a Sonic spinoff called Sister Sonic. Oh... Oh no. Think of what that could have been. Yeah. Oh no. That seems bad. But yeah, uh, they, they kind of ran away from that idea, but it exists as a, uh, uh, just as a, like, huh. Well, that would have been uh, craven in marketing terms anyway. But. That's kind of the news for this week, I think. Which means it's now time to hit some questions. Because Fire Miner sent us a bunch. Let's do it. Let's it's interesting see. to know about these weird obscurities. Yes, we love us some weird obscurities. Then. It's true. Like, knowing weird, dumb shit about games that uh, no one cares about is kind of my whole personality at this stage, so I kind of have to have this outlet. Okay. Okay, so Fireminer sent us some questions. Thank you, again, Fireminer. Uh, in the Discord, your discussion on Persona 3 gives me ideas for a few questions, some of which have already been included in the list. I'll just try my best to recall them and list them down here for convenience's sake, so if you can come to them again in future episodes, please cross them out. Will do. Uh, you mentioned that even if Persona 4 and 5's approach to LGBT matters have problems of their own, at least they tried. But what about games that make it seem like they tried but actually didn't? <laughs> Case in point, Torture and Call of Duty. You would have thought that after being called out as many times before, Infinity Ward and Treyarch would have had written a story that does not involve torture in any shape or form. But then it happened again with the reboot of Modern Warfare. Are they trying to justify America's actions like many have accused them of, or is everything uh, one big cheeky uh, teehee, we torture some bad guys, what are you going to do about it? sure that uh, Bush and Cheney have already said so behind our backs, are Infinity Ward and Tra uh, Treyarch just incompetent, or are they malicious? Uh, there's a combination of those two things that's also possible, which is, like, that uh, well, okay, no discussion of this is complete without pointing out that on the board of Activision Blizzard are people who were involved in uh, choices made by the U.S. during the Iraq War like, during the height of it, like, in the mid-ops. Like, that, that needs to be left on the table because it is just the case. 
Beyond that, um, there is a few things here. Marketing, assumption, right or wrong, is that the primary audience of uh, Call of Duty probably thinks that's cool. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, there's there's the raw cravenness. There's also the fact that perhaps some of the people that may have addressed this correctly all abandoned ship and formed a much better studio. Yeah, or were generally turfed out of the company various, yes. various companies involved over time because you, you got to stick with the company for a real long time to get to a position where you can make the choices on these. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I would say is uh, that the kind of mix option here is a failure to really interact with the gravity of the subject being addressed. Yeah. This happens a lot with games, movies, etc. Like, I mean, you, you bring up the Persona thing. Like, a lot of times, like, they will, you know, make some truly offensive statements or jokes. And, like, the my my response would be, so there's a there's a good uh, clip of I believe it's uh, the place that I saw it was the Simpsons documentary The Problem of Apu and mm. uh, the very, very good documentary by the way excellent excellent uh, but Harry Kondo Balloon uh, talks to Whoopi Goldberg who has a very long history of looking up of you know collecting uh, essentially exemplifiers of like really just old racist ad shit from America's history. And one of the things that she brings up is that like, uh, the attitude of a lot of those things was not like, Oh yeah, we're going to get them this time. It's, they just look at that and be like, Oh, that's funny. Like it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it sucks. It's, but it's, it's not, it's not malicious. I, 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 I'm not even going to say that, but I'm going to say it's not thoughtful. It's not something that was yeah. made with intent. It is something that was That's done. That's a better way like, to say it. Yeah, it, it was something that was made with, like, essentially no thought at empty. You just did it. Um, and, like, I, I don't want to go that far with, uh, with Call of Duty. I think that at this point, at least some of these are choices made with like some degree of understanding of the gravity and making the choice anyway. But I do think that like, especially the further you go back, when you look at something like no Russian, which I believe gets brought up later, uh, you're looking at someone who's like, who has an idea for something that they think will be shocking. And they like, just do it even though they shouldn't have, because it turns out that was a bad idea. Yes. But yeah. Uh, like I understand what, to be fair, I understand like the plot point they were going for that sets up the story they're going for, but making that a playable level was a really, really, really fucking bad idea. Yeah, it's, that, it's that just, should have been a cutscene, at most. Yeah, yeah, it, it's one of those things. Like the one of the things that happens anytime a game really goes after a charged issue is that to successfully deal with charged subjects, you need to think 
outside the box in how to portray them. Because generally, subjects that are charged are partially charged because their portrayal is usually bad. And so, AAA games with their extremely conservative design ethos generally aren't good at that. They're, mm -hmm. for want of a better term, scared of doing that. Of touching, uh, of, of turning the game into a segment that has less obvious mass market appeal. So... What you gonna do? Um, but yeah, like that, that would be my immediate uh, response. Uh, and he mentions that yes, I've watched Jacob Keller's video. I have not watched that, but I will take some time to look at it later, and we might addend this next week. Um, let's see. What's that? Uh, what video is this? Uh, I don't. I don't know. It's by someone called Jacob Geller. I'll go look it up. Okay. I'll send it to you later. Um, let's see. But to look at this, uh, he also says, uh, for the next question, I agree that so many things about Persona 3 are undercooked, but I'm surprised that you haven't mentioned one argument the developers should have included, the meaninglessness of death. Wouldn't you want to live more if you know that there is no inherent meaning in death? Instead, so many deaths occurred in that game have some kind of quote-unquote meaning, meaning from a metatextual sense. It were me, I'd have made sure it was set out right in the death of Chunky Jesus, you know, who is completely meaningless. Yeah, Persona 3, in its attempt to uh, portray death, has a very confused idea. Like, it can't decide whether death has meaning inherently, because... Like, I didn't even you pick have... up this theme, the, that that's the theme it was going for <laughs> when playing this game. Like, like the theme is death. Yeah. Like that is, but yeah. Um, so, like, to, to look at it, we have the fact that death is uh, a huge plot mover in Persona 3. Uh, it's, it's the end of, it's portrayed continually as the end of journeys. Uh, like, the journey is over, uh, you know, may, maybe it's a personal journey, for example. Uh, the death of a specific party member or the death of uh, Junpei's would-be girlfriend. Death as a motivator uh, inherently imbues it with me. Uh, or death in a fashion that indicates direct sacrifice. Oh, metal. Nice. Doing better than I'd expect. Um, but yeah. Uh, in general, like the, the, this kind of goes into the same thing I was saying. Like Persona Three is about death, but it doesn't feel like it has anything to say about it. Yeah, it, death is the end of the journey. <laughs> That's kind of it. That's all it has to say. Once you once you die, you can't make decisions anymore. Yeah. That's, that's basically it. Um, like theoretically, it's about how like uh, you know, like the life you lead before death and like living it to the most. But I mean, it uh, it doesn't really do that any better than any other game does. It doesn't it doesn't have like a meaningful thing to say about that, in my opinion. So it's just one of those like, uh, okay. Sure. Oh, Simus. Let's see. Uh, Joe is in chat saying I'm a ninja. Hey, Joe. 
And Tim Hi. says, oh, you were actually here, you son of a bitch. I snuck in like a ninja. God. Yeah, you snuck in for a while. Uh, Zim says, I mean, my thing with the idea that Persona 3 being undercooked is that I don't necessarily disagree, but I feel like the same thing Bud said about Persona 4, Persona 5. I strongly disagree with that. Yeah. I mean, so Persona 3 undercooked, yes. Persona 4, great game. Persona 5 was nearly perfect in every way. I, I mean, um... <laughs> Just That's what I think, anyways. Everything about no, the follow-ups is more consistent, like all all around. Like their stories aren't perfect, but you know, I, I don't know of a They're lot of more games. They're married to their themes, yeah. I guess I would say, which is why I prefer them. Uh, like certainly, there's also just the fact that the gameplay is more refined. But I mean, we, we we could probably have a more intelligent discussion about this if you. Uh, come on to the podcast in, on another episode soon. Okay. Uh, Consider that an open invitation. Son of Four insists <laughs> about dealing with your inner struggle, but basically the conclusion is just be what society expects of you. I think that that is a weakness. I I, I do think that it is often very pat with uh, decide, like, I'm struggling with this aspect of myself, and then, oh, I'm fine with it the way that it was. Like, I do think that that is an issue with its writing. At the same time, uh, I feel like it, in general, is more interested in how that inner uh, that those inner cogs connect to the outer cogs, and so even though like you can look at something like Yukiko's S Link, where it's like I don't want to inherit the thing. Oh well, I guess I'll inherit the thing. Uh, I, I do think that there is slightly more contemplative ideas about like how someone could be not could not dislike the th role thrust upon them by society but still resent the as assumption that it is all they can ever do and like if that was you know not all of them that would be better but you know i think that in general because of the more fully formed characters it works a little better well but, i think um like I thought that Kanji and Naoto oh, just had very had good stories, like had meaningful inner turmoil that they were ultimately kind of able to overcome more so than the others. Like I always felt like Chie and Yosuke kind of got cheated because you needed to unlock them early so you'd have a three person party, you know. So I mm -hmm. think that's why their writing was a little shallow and and their issues weren't really fully addressed. Um, I mean, they had a like big issue they could have addressed with Yosuke, and they didn't. But that's for another Yosuke, day. Yosuke, Yosuke is he's a, a jerk. pervert. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, well, he's, he's an asshole. He's an a hole. Yeah, like but, he's a teenage asshole, but he's yeah. an asshole. But yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, Yukiko. I love Yukiko, but but you're right though. Like her whole turmoil is, I don't want to be who my parents expect me to be. I don't want to inherit the business. And then I romanced her and got to the highest level. And in the end, she's like, well, I guess I'll just stick around and take care of my parents. I, I like, so she didn't change, but she did come to terms with it, which I guess is important. Yeah. And, and that, that, so, that is the kind of thing. And like, that's I agree a with valid that. story though. Yeah. That, that yeah. is a valid story. The problem is that, uh, and, and I think this is what Zim's getting at. Yeah. That they're all like that. a lot of stories, but they're yeah. kind of all like that. They're kind of all like that. Right. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, and and you know, I I think that that is a, a weakness of the game. I don't think that it damns it as much as I think that Persona 3's writing damns it because I think that Persona 3's writing is 
not just uh you know it, it has some of that same repetitive issue but uh yeah, yeah we no one likes you no one really likes yosuke sam but <laughs> no. uh, in his defense yeah. i think he's he's supposed to be just like that annoying teenager like uh, who yeah. someone he, like many of us yosuke... probably knew in our youth like in a lot of yeah he didn't doesn't really get the character development because a lot of people like that eventually like grow out of it and become better people it's just kind of you know, some people are so, like that when they're teenagers. So Yosuke exists for another reason as well. And that, that's something that like you kind of have to remember because these games are written with the thought process of the protagonist is essentially an idealized person. You are playing an idealized you. And the issue is Yosuke exists to show what a non-idealized person who is theoretically mm. this teenage male target audience. He is the person that you are allowed to essentially safely consider yourself better than. So he needs to kind of suck. <laughs> and, and he does it I wonderfully. Think, <laughs> I think that they have hit on a better version of that with Ryuji. Yes. Who yeah, kind of sucks, agree. but remains largely sympathetic. Yeah, he um, kind of sucks, but I feel like he has a lot of character development that makes him suck less. Yeah, and he's, he's got of more of like some dimension and all that. Yeah. yeah. Well, he has more of an issue, like, because his, uh, his dad was gone and I think something with his mom. And then he, yeah, the whole thing with the track team and yeah, Kamashita. He's, he's, and... he's got a lot going on, which helps yeah. him. Um, but yeah, like, there, there's a lot to be discussed. Like, we could probably honestly talk about uh persona three four and five and their various foibles essentially forever yeah. uh, yes <laughs> uh, we'll uh we'll probably hit this again but uh yeah problem with yosuke is that some people don't really do a good job of being critical of him there's there's like a broader question about like uh how how you would successfully uh be critical of him like i think the game considers the fact that he is a target for slapstick as being critical of him and you can have arguments about whether that functions not well enough not well enough but it's at the same point where i think it's like the thought process is supposed to be uh look at the like this guy did something this guy was an asshole and then he got like pushed into a river or some shit <laughs> but yeah it doesn't do an amazing job. We'll go with that. Um... And that's kind of that's also I think the thing about three, four, and five is that they progressively handle a lot of these things a lot better, as probably a lot of the people involved with them learn how to do this better. Yeah. Let's see, but I wanted to hit some of these other questions. So sure, like yeah, yeah, more. yeah. I w we could probably talk about five forever, but we probably will again at some point in we the near future. Will, so we're, let's. In October again. I'm going to prevent myself <laughs> from talking about it. So yeah, let's move on. Okay. Okay. I agree with Joe that it's almost a perfect game. <laughs> but yeah, uh, anyone notice how traumatic an archetypal RPG adventure can be? Fighting through untold horrors, being injured constantly, living in shitty inns while money goes to equipment and potions, etc. Seeing your friends die repeatedly and then resurrected with Phoenix Down is terrific. Is there any RPG that explores this idea? Probably at least a couple, but I think they're pretty obscure. Yeah. Uh, 
but yeah, like I couldn't name any off the top of my head. I'm sure if yeah, Gaijin no. were here, he'd probably have something very obscure. Uh, uh, it's well, this isn't video games, but TV. What's funny? I was just thinking about this today. Uh, I've recently finally started watching Stranger Things. Oh, and I just finished the first season, started the second season, and you know specifically deals with a character kind of going through post-traumatic stress syndrome after adventures. So uh, it would be interesting to see some RPGs do something like that. It's, it's a right thing. And I think the issue you end up with is that most RPGs end up considering their target audience to be either uh, teenage Japanese boys or uh, what you call it? Uh, teenage Japanese boys or uh, like whatever audience that EA thinks a Bioware game has. <laughs> I don't know what their internal metrics look like. But yeah, like you, you end up with that kind of, you know, those kinds of subjects are considered off-putting, and so uh, companies don't like spending money uh, to explore them, which is a shame. Uh, so probably something indie might have done this. The, the irony is that... Uh, I would suspect an indie game that examined this probably also isn't actually an RPG. Yeah, probably. It's it's very likely some brand of adventure game or visual novel because it's about the theming rather than per se the actually the gameplay. But yeah, I'd have to go digging. Um, uh, would you like at the end of an adventure your characters? Uh, having suffered, uh, essentially having their minds broken from PTSD, tactics over the Night of Lotus and Crisis Core. Took that approach to a point. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's the, the thing you're running into is that just very few games are just tragedies. Yeah. Uh, like, there are occasionally games that let you have tragic endings. Uh, <laughs> one of the funniest, most tragic comic articles I think I've ever seen. Uh, was a Kotaku article from like 2016 about someone talking about how they had gotten by accident like the worst ending in Witcher 3 <laughs> by just being uh, a bad dad basically and like the, the bad ending of Witcher 3 is one that leaves a uh, girl kind of broken oh actually funny you should say that because um, just recently like a couple days ago I said, oh, hey, I never finished Cyberpunk. Let me jump back into that real quick. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that. So I knew I was at a point of no return, but I thought it just, that there's a several of those in the game. So anyways, I go in. Right. And so I haven't played this game in months. Oh, no. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, I didn't realize I was like so close to the end. Well, it's funny. You, you said that the bad ending. So here's an RPG where, okay. I picked the wrong dialogue options. We were just talking about Persona, after all. But in Cyberpunk, <laughs> I picked the wrong dialogue options, and V commits suicide. And oh, it rolls credits. Oh, that's fucked. incredible. And wow. I'm like, the fuck just happened? And then it made. And then it, it said if I wanted to keep playing, I had to load the save point before that mission. So at first, I thought, well, that was a shitty ending. All right, I guess I'll go work on some side quests and just shoot people. But then, um. Then I'm like, wait a second. What if this is like in Persona 4 when I got the bad ending and I gave up and then oh, found no. out I... So I went back in and picked better dialogue options and then V instead takes some pills 
to try and kill Johnny Silverhand, and now I'm in a, another mission, and I'm like, okay. So, <laughs> so there you have it. <laughs> yeah. I, got you. Now, I don't know how that was relevant to the original question, though. But I don't know if you want to talk uh, about rarely, rarely are. So. If you talk, talk about horrific endings, my favorite is still the bad ending in Shin Megami Tensei Four. That one, that one was really more you being broken than in your characters. Uh. Well, it's, it was just so stupid when I got it because I'm just like going through the the side quests, like, oh, where's this gonna lead? And it's just like, oh, the end of existence. Roll credits. It's like. I can't believe you Whoops. got that <laughs> I did. I did not know that oh, was going to happen. We have, re- we have reduced the universe to null. Yeah. Whoops. That doesn't happen very often. Hey, now I, I might have mentioned this before, but Pillars of Eternity 2, right They're in the hard. beginning, when the god is trying to convince you, like, oh, hey, like, uh, Bareth, I think, or whatever, is like, you betrayed me and you suck, but I need you to do this mission for me. So right at the start of the game, before you even finish making your character, if you pick certain dialogue options, you it's the bad ending. You roll, it rolls credits. You get reincarnated <laughs> as an animal, and it's over before it even starts. <laughs> nice. Back to the wheel. You're a dog. Woof. <laughs> so... But yeah, that SMT4 uh, ending could not lead to any sort of post-traumatic stress syndrome due to end of existence. (laughs) Oh, boy. Maybe we should move on to a new question since we've ruined this one. What was the original question? The original question is, like, just... interest in games that uh end with the characters like essentially uh emotionally broken or suffering from ptsd yeah for smt4 the character would actually have to continue existing yes <laughs> actually true. this is true of several megaton game endings yeah there's a lot so okay i i will note um shin megami tensei if mm-hmm the one where the deranged classmate literally sells his entire high school to, he- to the Prince of Hell. Oh, nice. And then, and you have to fight your way back out. Um, the ending takes uh, one, uh, I think the primary ending takes place with you and your partner remanifesting in the physical world, and the rest of your school doesn't come back with you. I'll explain some things about Persona 2. Uh. Yeah. But, um,. I can't remember which ending it's based off of, but the the if manga is set after you come back, <laughs> and I think you oh got boy. the good ending for the start of that. So because you're, the rest of your school still actually exists, but the main character is just going like, "Okay, did I just smoke something, or what the hell am I remembering at this moment?" And oh crap, there's a pixie. And, <laughs> Oh no! It was not a hallucination. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> and that's how. But that's pretty much how the manga starts. <laughs> I feel like I should point out that anyone who has played Shin Megami Tensei knows that the game is actually attempting to induce this feeling in the player at this point. So the game is fucking mean for no fucking reason. <laughs> yeah. Um. Let's see. 
Okay, let's uh, let's hit another question. Uh, Are you I've asked from the podcast list or from the actual list. This is this is from the uh, list that was thrown in Discord because they're all theoretically pertaining to something we've discussed recently. Okay. Uh, I've asked, and you've talked about every playable character being an asshole makes the player stop caring about everything, which I reply, why not make them care for something else? Like, what if you make your player, your playable characters so horrible that the player actively yearns for the orgiastic jubilation of seeing these characters going out in the most spectacular way possible? Whereas my video game equivalent of natural-born killers, why not just make it self-destructive and realistic grindhouse feast? No, I'm not counting hatred. So the thing about video games as a narrative structure is that the player is the one that has to push them forward. Yeah. So, like, you take something like Natural Born Killers, and that's a movie. You're gonna, like, the the viewer only has to be patient. They don't have to participate in the things they find distasteful. And they don't have to push them forward. They just have to let them play out and then hope for an ending that gives some kind of comeuppance. Whereas it's much easier to lose the player in a game where no one's sympathetic because there's not the passive understanding that the media will finish itself out. Like, the player has to push themselves to reach that ending. So doing something that's just like, man, I can't wait for these characters to die horribly or to get their comeuppance in some fashion is actually pretty hard. <laughs> because usually the player is just going to stop playing before they reach it. Yeah, there's... I, I really want to fit the phrase ludonarrative dissonance into here somehow. <laughs> just, just because, um, I mean, you do have games where you're playing an awful rotten rat bastard of a character, but at the same time you're kind of rooting for them in some way often. Mm -hmm. or, um, or at least you can yeah. argue that the villains are worse, or sometimes mm -hmm. the heroes are worse. To... But, but I mean, the only really absolutely awful, terrible people-centered video games I can think of were created for specific fetishes that most people would not wish to touch with a standard 10-foot pole. Yeah, I can think of one uh, attempt at doing this in what amounts to a mass-market video game. And I, I can only think about this because I was recently like looking up footage on this entire series and... Uh, trying to remember and understand why it was ever popular in the first place. Uh, the 2012 Twisted Metal reboot has uh, <laughs> yeah. three primary characters, and none of them is properly sympathetic. Um, the most sympathetic one is the guy who has murdered a bazillion people who wants to go back in time so that he can not, have, not turn to a life of crime. Uh, the first character you play as, the first third of the game, you are playing as the guy whose motivation is, I want to wish for the ability to find the daughter that I tried to kill and couldn't. And huh. as it turns out, no one liked that. Huh. Even yeah, Twisted Metal tooth. fans do not like that. Huh. That new version of Sweet Tooth, his wish was, yeah, I want to go find the girl that I didn't kill. And then... I don't but like of course, that. The daughter. <laughs> right, but yeah, Calypso, of course, tricks everybody, so he ends up in a coffin underground. Yeah, like that's the one part. Because the girl ended up dying anyways. Yeah, so then he's like, oh, anyway. you want to. 
you want to go where she is? Okay, fine. You're you're underground in in her coffin. There you go. And then it, and then it does a camera pan <laughs> up to the. Then it does a camera pan up to the up to the up to where her grave marker is, and it looks like she was buried like a hundred feet underground for some reason. Right. I know it's crazy. But yeah, like that's the that's the one part that people like. But the problem is, you still have to play for hours as this complete fucking asshole who's just constantly talking about how he wants to murder people. And it's like, yeah. oh, you're just not pleasant. You're not pleasant to listen to. I don't want you to get what you want, and it's tedious to listen to you talk about it. <laughs> just the other problem with this kind of thing is if the person... It's very easy for someone who is remarkably unsympathetic to also be just uninteresting. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because like, if they were interesting, you would feel some sort of un, like, unhappy, undesired sympathy. Yeah. Well, like, you get the... I mean, I... Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, if you could somehow manage to make the video game equivalent of thank you for smoking. Something like that. Like, I, I think you do have to take, like, kind of a comedic tone to make this work. Right. Like, this yeah. person sucks, and it's fun. Like, you do yeah, guess, thank you for smoking or always sunny in Philadelphia. Like, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I just remember watching Thank You for Smoking the first time and thinking, I have never enjoyed hating somebody so much. Mm-hmm. And that's a really rare quality to manage in any sort of narrative. Yeah, and and yeah. there's four four characters that you hate on Always Sunny. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know it's it's you you, you or five yeah. yeah five, but <laughs> you you essentially you need uh, someone who's maybe playing a heel persona is how to describe it. And you know there's there's only so much you can do with that. Yeah, or like I, mean, I complained about this before, but the um, the Last of Us Part Two, that was an existential nihilistic slog, and by the time I got to the end of it, I did not give a fuck what happened to Ellie or Abby or anybody else. That's, well, thank you yeah, for the yeah, sub, Hollywood. Right. You're the best. It's very easy to stop. <laughs> yeah. Neil Druckmann wants you to kill yourself. <laughs> Dark. when you're when you're done playing his game yeah it's just a case of like there's, there's all sorts of things working against this idea of working in a uh, interactive context without extremely careful i think a lot of these games are not going to get <laughs> and essentially approaching them from very non-traditional directions uh, Uh, is the above goal of Modern Warfare uh, to snow Russian in the first Is the above the goal of Modern Warfare to snow Russian in the first place? So, the cost of feeding myself, am I giving Infinity Ward and Treyarch too much credit? In this case, yeah, probably. Um, I, don't, I don't think that. I think the point is, no Russian was to shock you. Yeah. I don't think there was much thought after that. Um, do you think that Postal belonged to a passing moment in the industry, or does it represent something deeper in each of us? The drive to be shitty without any consequences and make shit and make shit and best jokes. We have Postal Four now, but no one talks about it except Postal fans. Uh, I, I think the the description of the question is flawed. It's not. I don't think it's a drive that exists in all of us, but it definitely exists in some people, and those are the people maybe drawn to something like Postal with the idea. Just, just do things. Who gives a shit? It's nihilism. Uh, it's gross. Now we've got geese and goats doing it in video games. <laughs> yeah, it, like the thing you run into is that, like, the, the closer it comes to approximating 
uh, interactions with a human, the more you run into the issue of, oh, like, I'm just being shitty to things that look like people, and I don't like that. Like, I don't think that most people enjoy just being actively shitty to other people, or being, or visiting violence upon just completely anything that, again, upon people just for the sake of it. Like, there's a reason that everything has to couch itself in that socially acceptable uh, idea of, like, oh, you were visiting violence upon this person because of war or whatever. And, like, you know, you can certainly get people to not care. That's kind of the thing that allows things like Grand Theft Auto to work. Like, it's just chaos. But it's cartoony chaos. You only care about it in as far as, like, you're, you're making explosions for explosions. You're smashing your toys together. Like, that's what you're doing with those. This is like the same discussion we had about uh, the Mortal Kombat games way back, where it's like, well, when the person's exploding into like 20 rib cages, it's kind of hilarious. Yeah, because yeah, it's like that doesn't resemble what's yeah. inside a person. But when it's an x ray view and their rib cage is exploding, it's. Uh, or their skull is cracking. Or it's like something else. It's yeah. Like, it's just like, you know, because like you play those old games. Whatever just happened here is so is so ridiculous that I don't honestly have any strong feelings about it. But you look at something like, uh, you know, the the modern ones, and it's like I really don't like seeing these. Don't like them. They they feel like fetishistic in a fashion, like not even necessarily sexually, but you know, just yeah, they're so. Uh, like, certainly to a degree, some of them probably are, but they're, they're so, uh, like, just, like, violent for its own sake. There's there's no, like, yeah. there's no humor, there's no, there's no joy, it's just like, that, that shirt, that shirt is a dude getting, like, semi-realistically ripped apart. Yeah. Well, like, um, a good example, I would say, is in Mortal Kombat 11, if you want to fully get through the crypt, you have to perform fatalities. Uh, you have to perform a fatality against every character, like, 20 or 30 times. So it's like... So the first... What, what was happening was when I got into it, it was like, all right, I wanted to do each fatality once just to see it and just to get the achievement for it because you have to do each character's full fatalities to, over to get over achievement over. And, and then there's no way to fast forward or skip the animation and and then when you're doing the towers you have to do the fatalities and brutalities and stuff to get more points to get better prizes and that's where they went too far in my opinion making yeah. you do these fatalities and then not letting you skip the animation. It's like, okay, I know the button inputs. I won the fight. Just give me the points and let me skip. Yeah. And they don't mm -hmm. do that. I mean, so, the, the other... I was, okay. I was going to say, if you're going to do something like realistic and horrific, it really has to have good point. And what, was, what came to my mind was something recent, was playing um, Resident Evil Village... <laughs> where you get part of your hand bitten off in pretty vicious detail. But I feel like I don't didn't feel like that was excessive or anything. It felt like it was really building the horror of what was going on and it, it, built, it built really worked well in that game. Because it's really it's it's a really dark thing to happen. It's really it's really upsetting 
but it also is a marker of it, it's a characterization of Ethan, a character who doesn't have yeah. a lot of characterization. It's a characterization of his capacity to maintain his determination and keep going, even though and save his daughter. Literally, yeah. To even yeah. though he's being literally mutilated. He's like dad of the year. Yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, I think there's even an achievement called dad of the year, which I'm sure you're referencing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you have things. to beat it on Village of Shadows to get that achievement. Yeah, that's what I said very well. But yeah, it's, okay. it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, like there, there's a broader point. And like, to drag back to the Mortal Kombat thing, like Mortal Kombat eventually made the X-ray moves into a uh, game mechanic as well. And Eleven had things called crushing blows, where if you did certain uh, activities in a match, uh, the moves would gain uh, one-time special properties that would cause an X-ray move. And it's like, I kind of get why those are done because they're like an exclamation point of like, oh look, look, you did a good thing, and here's a big special animation. I wish that they were animations I didn't find gross and make me not want to see them. Yeah, yeah. I get why they did it. Whereas with like the need to watch the fatalities over and over and over again, you're running into like you're actually just making people like them less because now they're like even if they liked them the first time, now they've had to sit through them dozens of times. <laughs> Yeah, yeah this is the same kind of thing that turned me off the original God of War as well. So many times. So like, many I, don't, yeah. I don't want to rip out this this Cyclops eyeball, please. Yeah. yeah, so Kratos is not really likable, but we found out that the gods are kind of worse, and he's also killing beasts from, you know, uh, yeah, mythology but... and whatnot. And so yeah, so it, it kind of ties in what we're to talking tear about. Out the right. Just don't make me do it. It's gross. Or, or like when you, have to, when you have to cut mm -hmm. off Hermes' legs to get his boots. Yeah. I mean, I, was, I would always personally <laughs> describe uh, if Devil May Cry is Street Fighter, then God of War is Mortal Kombat, and I mean that in all of the meanest ways yeah. imaginable. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, that's about right. Um. Let's see. Um. See, here's one that I brought up last time. You spoke about uh, where games should stop before they become morality plays, but what about games that go the opposite way? Some go some way, post sandbox games where you make your own meaning. Well, ar the argument I, I want to just to be clear, I was arguing that uh, a game should not feel obligated to function as morality play. Um, that a a game can choose to be essentially nihilistic, and I think that that's part of, or it can have like uh, the concept of like essentially socially unacceptable but rewarding mechanics within the context of play, and that makes sense. Uh, but just just to clarify that, since uh, but to go further, uh, I mean, I think that like even bringing up Ghost Simulator and Postal in, in the same breath kind of shows you that like there's degrees to which people want to indulge in this because you get go simulator it's like yeah that's a lot of socially unacceptable actions but they're supremely cartoonish like mm -hmm. you're a weird glitchy goat creature that like hits things and then the things get upset at you but you can't really do anything because you're a goat um whereas it's... postal is like you got upset at someone and shot them in the face and that probably yeah. pissed on their body and it's one of those things where it's like that's not like it's not realistic, but it is portraying a kind of violence that is close enough to real that it makes that it honestly probably turns away a lot of the audience. 
things that actually would want to do something socially acceptable. Because it's like, well, I want to do something that allows me to just do whatever, but I don't want to be an asshole. Like, I don't want to kill people. That's not a normal yeah. fantasy. Well, yeah, and I I really liked Saints Row the Third because it was like GTA, but it wasn't serious and gritty, and it's it I I like how that was done. It's completely over the top, completely yeah, absurd. Completely you have and a giant dildo sword called the Penetrator, like you know what I mean? It I was actually, laughing the whole time. You know? Four took that several with, steps further. Yeah, that was actually my issue with Saints Row the Third. Is Saints Row the Third was still just enough like an actual thing that I didn't care. And then when Saints Row Four gave me superpowers, it's like, oh, none of this shit matters. Now yeah. I can do whatever. Like now I can right. do like a fucking pile driver that sends me five hundred feet in the air first. Plus, you get um, to be president yeah. with Vice President Keith David. Oh, so you get the ability yeah. to sign a law that says "fuck yes. answer." Yes, um, <laughs> that game is so fucking yeah. good. I love the yeah. Part, so yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, but yeah, like you know, people, people like uh, play that allows them to do things that they can't in real life, and people like play that allows them to do things that would be socially unacceptable in real life. But people usually want an exaggerated idea. Of freedom. They don't want the freedom yeah. to do things that they honestly probably wouldn't want to do in the first place. They want yeah. something like Untitled Goose Game. There you go. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that I mean, game is kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know why yeah. Untitled Goose Game was awesome? Because, alright, so my great uncle passed away last year. He was like 93. and But he used to, he had, ge he had a, like a brook behind his house and these geese would show up and he kept feeding them and they would keep coming back and then their you know defecation ruined his lawn and he hit a point where he just didn't want the geese around anymore and so one day we were we went over there and he made us tea and we're just sitting there and he sees a goose in his yard he runs outside so this guy in his 80s with a rake chasing this goose and the goose is lifting its arms in the air and, and to me untitled goose game is amazing because i just think like it just makes me think of him. It's just, even though I'm the goose and I'm terrorizing people, it's still like, ah, oh, I remember Uncle Jim. Damn it. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I, what I still think is amazing is the original Famitsu Cross review for Untitled mm -hmm. Goose Game. It was the most lopsided scoring I have ever seen. <laughs> okay. They've got four people giving them a score between one and ten, and then they just aggregate that into the official review score. Yeah. So, Untitled Goose Game had a first person gave it a two, second person gave it a three, second, third person gave it a four, fourth person gave it an eight. You don't and, really know. And, and, and the reviews can be summarized as: Why was this game made? <laughs> who, would, who thought this game was a good idea? What kind of person would ever want to play this game? And the final guy was like, "Yo, this is actually kind of awesome." <laughs> It's a really fun puzzle game. I this, thought it was great. It's great. My yeah. kids enjoyed it too. Yeah, like that. I, I got an really achievement for. Like that. Uh, yeah, I got an achievement because I stole the keys from the guy and then locked him out of like his own yard or something. <laughs> the great thing about that this game is that you're being a dick, but the, mo the most you can ever do to someone is mildly <laughs> Yes. Right. Oh, I just wanted to mention, um, so Fallout 3, 
Remember right in the beginning, there's Mr. Burke, the guy in the white suit at Moriarty's saloon? Well, like, he tells you he wants to blow up Megaton, so oh, yeah, that I guy. was like, I was like, oh, hell no, I don't want to do that. So I turned him in, and then he shot the sheriff, and then I shot him, and then I got the sheriff's hat, and I was like, okay, that's not so bad. But then, um, I, what I didn't know is somebody came over to my house one day, and he's like, he's like, oh, what the hell did you kill that guy for? Why didn't you do the quest? I'm like, what are you talking about? So on my, I made another character, and I actually did the quest. Mm-hmm. And you go to the tower, and you meet the rich guy, and you blow up Megaton. And it was like, oh, this is awful. Only, like, a truly evil character would do that. I, I don't like this. Yeah. Super calm, successfully stopping the sheriff from getting killed by literally stepping in front of the bullet. But oh, you know what yeah. I did, did? What? I just shot that guy in the head, and that put an end to that. <laughs> right. Oh, that's what I love about like Bethesda games is just the fact that if you kill a quest giver, you fail the quest, and it's like, oh, okay. Like, or at least in the early games, it was like that. Like mm-hmm. in New Vegas, if you kill. You kill, like, right in the beginning when you meet Kazar's Legion, I'm like, oh, these people are evil, and I just would kill them. And it would come up, quest failed, quest failed. Good. Yeah, just ten Good. quests failed because I was never going to work with Kazar's Legion. <laughs> uh, to, to hit these last few questions before sure. I get too far. Um, let's see, people have criticized just how the Persona 3 cast on back uh i think the problem with persona 3 is that they don't develop but they don't actually do anything else either <laughs> like that's the problem they a lot of them kind of uh secede into the background until a personal tragedy happens and pretends that they developed and then they don't do anything like i i understand i understand what he's saying but that is also a long ass RPG that's mostly focused on story. There should be development. I, I, Come again, on. I don't even think that the character has to grow and improve, but I think it yeah. would be interesting. Right. Um, like, no, none of so the like characters to, in that game are interesting. To, to, to put it another way, when you look at someone like. Uh, I, uh, my, my grand prize for like the game just being like, ah, oh, fuck this character. We don't have anything to do with this character is Fuka, who is your navigator, and she's, like, friends with this, uh, like, she, her yeah, recruitment involves her becoming friends with this girl. She's, like, a gal archetype, and she's a bully, and then, like, the, you know, for the course of her recruitment, they become friends, and then that character disappears, just disappears. <laughs> Fuka doesn't really do anything, she just sort of stands in the background of story scenes and says, I think this is where the enemy is. She's a navigator and knows where the enemy is. But then, uh, at the <laughs> near the end of the game, when everyone else is having a personal tragedy, in order to make the, to justify their persona, uh, Fuka's friend just wanders back in. She has not been seen in six months of game time. You and she wanders in and has one scene with Fuka where she's like, "Oh, I'm moving away," <laughs> and then she leaves, and that's it. <laughs> and then Fuka's persona evolves. There is no reason, like, there, there's nothing to that. Like, there is no character development there. It just gestured to character development. And, like, you could do... The problem is that since they were trying to trying to balance out the calendar system and the fact that it's already, like, a 60-plus hour game, mm-hmm. um, I'm, 
Yeah, and also, unfortunately, that's the kind of situation where the protagonist is supposed to get most of the character development, except your your classic Megadon protagonist doesn't have character. And, and there's, like, there's... there's I, I get why it happened, yeah. but, like, the issue isn't that the character are developing, it's that they're not doing much else either. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah, like, they, they would get better. I mean, I mean, to be fair, I also had that same issue with, like, Final Fantasy Tactics, where any character who joined your party immediately became a puppet oh yeah oh, like sure. I, I never liked that aspect because like once the once the game is like oh this character can die it's like well we're not writing anything for so the player probably won't see it or might not see it who knows uh, we can't hang a scene on them because they might not be there um but yeah like like this this is something i would consider to be like a flaw that happened because they have not yet written anything like this Mm-hmm. But it's it's it one of those definitely, things. Where... Definitely seems more like a like inexperience, like you said. Hmm. But it is one of those things. It's like the reason people are like have like a dim view of the Persona Three cast is not uh, because they don't develop. It's just that they're like clumsily written because of that kind of not really used to the kind of demands of a chronology based game. Yeah. Game setting based game mm-hmm. uh, and plus I feel like the games going forward did a better job of making them an actual group whereas yeah, Persona 3 is just like here's a bunch of people that are working together and they don't yeah. necessarily even like each other and there, also there's, there's there, a dog and there, there would even be there's a lot of drama to mine from people who are working together who do not necessarily like each other, but the game doesn't actually do that. Nope. (laughs) Sure doesn't. It's just like, they're just a loose association of people who keep going into dungeons together. Um, But yeah. Uh, To hit another one of these, is there any games that revel in the fact that all your party bastards looking at themselves only? In other words, what's the Sopranos of video games? Uh, Yakuza? (laughs) No, the thing Surprisingly is Yakuza not. Yakuza is very... Uh, it's kind of wholesome. <laughs> the, best way to, the best way to describe Yakuza and the thing that, uh, it's, that kind of defines it as a franchise is that... Uh, oh shit, Kiyu, thank you for the uh, sub-king. The Kiryu, the first uh, protagonist, the protagonist from Yakuza 0 through 6, uh is stated canonically to have never killed a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter how many times he threw someone off the building. Uh, like, <laughs> Kiryu has never killed a man is a plot point in Yakuza 6. Uh, I think it's 6 anyway. But yeah, like, Kiryu has never killed a man. Uh, it's like, the the way that a Yakuza protagonist typically approaches uh, seeing something weird or, like, that would be considered socially awkward or weird or, like... Uh, so, like, uh, another way to put it. So, like, to, to describe how much of a nice guy your protagonist is supposed to be in Yakuza. Yakuza 2 has the infamous section where you meet up with, the, like, a different Yakuza family that is headed up by a guy who is a, like... A guy who fetishizes pretending. Like, that's, that is his, like proclivity and you end up beating about beating up a bunch of yakuza who are in diapers like that is an infamous scene from that game 
the uh, conclusion that the game draws from that is, yo, it's perfectly fine that you do this. Kiryu is perfectly fine with you doing this, but don't like trick people into doing it and don't force them to do it. <laughs> That's the end of that sub-story. Your character in Yakuza is supposed to be bafflingly understanding. So yeah, not, not really a candidate in this case. Um, Grapple and all of your party are bastards. It's really not common in RPGs. No. Um, parodies of RPGs is constant because... Uh, oh, yeah. Because it's like, funny. Yeah, Open it's version. funny and it's and also the behavior of most RPG protagonists could be charitably described as sociopathic. Um, yes. But, so as yeah. for... Okay, a party of bastards out for themselves. Well, did you ever play Baldur's Gate 2 and recruit all the evil characters? <laughs> no, because they all seem like dicks. <laughs> well, I've done it, and it's it's awful. But yeah, so you can get... You get the, the dwarf guy at the inn who wants to go into the tombs. You get Edwin. Well, Edwin's just a good wizard, though, and he's got funny dialogue. It, um, it makes sense then, to have, like, an evil character for his flavor. Yeah. But I recruited all the evil people, and then, like, Vi well, Viconia is a drow, so the second, like, you have to, s you save her from being killed by a mob, but then you lose reputation for having a drow in your party. But she's actually, a, she has a 19 in dexterity, so her sling, like, never misses. You can also um, refer to being true neutral rather than neutral Yeah, and, and then, but then her and Edwin, I think, flirt with each other sometimes. I don't know, but I, I thought it was. It, it, it was probably the worst playthrough I had. No, because it's like they all hate each other. And if you do too many, like you want to raise your reputation to bring down store prices. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then when you do that, they get pissed and they quit the party because you're being too nice. Yeah. yeah this is why Bioware games don't do this anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, I was going to say uh, maybe Disgaea, but they're kind of like fake evil and actually sort yeah. of wholesome. So that doesn't really yeah, work. Yeah, like that's... Uh, yeah, that's kind of how all these end up being. Is that like, oh, they're fake evil. It, it's hard to get a bunch of people who are ruthlessly evil to have a good enough reason to stay cooperating with each other. Because, like, you know, you can get, like, one asshole like Wario whose entire fucking raison d'etre is, I want money. And, like, sure, he can go <laughs> off and do that by himself. If you get, like, an entire group of people, it's like, well, eventually they have, like, a million reasons to betray each other. You can't really get them all to agree on one thing that will benefit theoretically all of them, maybe. <laughs> one of them's going to try to make off with everything, and it's like, oh. Um, it's, it's just hard. When are we going to get Wario and Waluigi partners in crime? Make it I, happen, I Nintendo. Make it happen. I was actually just reminded of an old fantasy novel from the late 90s called Villains by Necessity. <laughs> Which uh, was, I mean, it is in fact a parody of the Dungeons and Dragons style fantasy novels. Um, right down to the right down to the points where you can pick out the uh, actual in joke references to Dragonlance. Um, but the, the entire point of the story is that about 200 years before the book begins, Good won the big war against the Dark Lord, and ever since it's been slowly, slowly pushing and forcing all evil out of the world completely and the elven wizard who was part of the original winning party was being a little too zealous about this and 
It's reached the point where the entire world is about to evanesce into the positive energy plane unless somebody actually fixes something. <laughs> it, like, there's literally not enough evil on the planet anymore. Mm-hmm. So the the party of, of quote-unquote heroes um, includes the last surviving druid, because the druids all got wiped out for being too neutral in the last <laughs> war. The last surviving member of the final Assassin's Guild, the former president of a thieves' guild who they all officially uh, retired rather than um, get processed, a literal black knight, like just a, a suit of, walking suit of armor, nobody can see what's inside it because it's been like uh, welded together, hmm. and the, the sole surviving not a drow on the planet. And the reason they all start working together originally is because the drow is intent on getting revenge and decides that the druid's an idiot, but she's a useful idiot, so she puts a gaius on the entire party and forces them along. Wow. Yeah. And then uh. the sixth, sixth character is a, is a wandering minstrel who gets dragged into this against his will and is recruited by the wizard to be a spy, and they all know that he's a spy because he's really awful at it. <laughs> so but yeah if you have a chance to find this book in a, like a library I don't even think it's available in, book, in the used bookstores anymore because it's considered a rarity nowadays but if you have a chance to read it do so it's a really fun read but also read but it is, from the future yeah. <laughs> but it, it's I mean but it's also an example of a fantasy story that could be adapted into a JRPG where <laughs> four out of six of the main char- of the main hero quote unquote heroes are in fact absolute bastards. Hmm. And also equal rights for druids, please. Yay, yay. <laughs> okay. Thank you for reading, by the way, Wheels. Thank You're you. welcome. It's taken a while, okay. but but to be fair, it's the only book I've read in recent memory because I haven't read a lot of books. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, just to go down some of these uh, questions again uh, real quick. Uh, this one should be real quick. Speaking of which, did the Sopranos game fully convey the feeling of being a bunch of losers trying to be cool? Uh, only if you, the player, are the one that's the loser trying to be cool because that game sucks. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do appreciate you assuming that someone, presumably me, had actually tried it. <laughs> it's it's very bad. Um, it's it's kind of a like it's probably the sort of game I would recommend. Uh, watching just for novelty rather than actually playing. Um, let's see. Okay, and a couple of related questions. Speaking of John Connor's voice, finally, to return uh, about the orgiastic jubilation point I made above, besides the need to give context to everything the players do, why do so many games, FPS and Sack and Slash in particular, still bother with a story while only meant to evoke the baser instincts in the because before you start the gameplay loop, you need to draw someone into wanting to start the gameplay loop. Yes. Again, ludonarrative dissonance. Yes. And of course, you also have uh, a quote that I'm sure you're aware of because you pulled up John Carmack, uh, pulled up the John Carmack voice, the infamous quote from him that story in a game is like story in a porno. It's expected to be there, but you're not supposed to care about it. Um, yeah, so, so the thing is that, like, completely context, if you need, like, that lead-in to people caring about the game before the game has fully 
uh, got its gameplay hooks in them, and so context is part of how you do that. So yeah. it doesn't need to be good context, it just needs to be compelling enough context to get them to the point where the game gets its hooks in them. And Dude, that, 2016 does this perfectly. Right. So Dude, I was, 2016 I was actually has a pretty decent story, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that too. So, so Doom 2016, yeah, like the story is like just good enough where it's like, okay, I want to see how this plays out, although I would have played through it anyways. In contrast, I did not like Doom Eternal at all because they put so much emphasis on a story that didn't make any sense and had no continuity to the previous game. So I still need to play Doom Eternal, but yeah. Um but yeah, like that, that paradoxically has a great deal more story, but a less compelling context than the universe. Um, but yeah, like it's the, the context exists to hook players in while the gameplay gets going. Um, same thing as any, like the modern Monster Hunters as well, also have stuff like that. And it's, yeah, the story is there. It's not the key part, it's just context that gets you in while you're, while the gameplay loop get this hook gets its hooks in you some of the modern monster hunters have actually done story very poorly looking at you yeah. monster hunter world hmm. yeah um yeah that, that would be my argument for like it's, it's both inertia and like the general uh, people like context for why they're doing something yeah even if it's not the point it's an yeah. important part of the balance you're more likely to get somebody to play if you have even the slightest reason to play like <laughs> to interact mm -hmm. like go rescue your girlfriend from the giant turtle thing sure yep good enough yep yeah <laughs> about Less the only game that you would not need that is like madden mm -hmm. because you're already invested in the football team succeeding somehow. yeah so like that's why it's very like it's very rare and a relatively recent development for sports games to have story modes for that reason. Uh, and well, the ones that... Wheels, sorry, Wheels mentioned Wario and Waluigi. Well, did you get through the whole story of Mario Golf um, Super Rush? Because I have not played so... it at all. The story modes. Oh well, well because that's the whole story is that. Uh, Wario and Waluigi become like the main villains and you're trying to stop them from getting the super golf power or something. That's but, incredible. Yeah, but basically so so that that is the one sports game where it's like, oh, okay, I'm glad this has a story. This is actually kind of neat. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of how Waluigi is the villain of Mario, of Dance Dance Revolution Mario next for <laughs> Okay. He's got those long legs. He can bust a move. Um, yeah, um, and the final question that, uh, that Fireminer had for us, and what about using Metal Gear Rising as a counterpoint to the other question? Why no one has tried to copy its narrative and themes? Uh, mostly because, uh, Metal Gear Rising is narratively ambitious because it is a Metal Gear game and thus needed to be, uh, but also, like, Metal Gear Rising's, uh, narrative and themes are difficult to, like, I'm not even convinced that I think Metal Gear Rising succeeds at the themes that it's trying to have, but they're interesting enough that it doesn't super matter. Uh, Wasn't it the zombie game? No, zombie game? no, you're thinking of uh, Metal Gear Survive or, or something. Yeah. Uh, Metal okay. Gear Survive is the, is the one where you're sent to a parallel universe and have to yeah. fight zombies. Metal Gear Rising was the 
uh, platinum games action games. Right. Oh, okay. You're right. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. Metal Gear Rising is incredible. Uh, but the thing about it is that, like, that's also, like, a weird one. It's like, it almost, it plays out like a game that doesn't realize it's a tragedy. Like, it mm-hmm. never, it, it, it's, because, like, you know, the, the, the end of Metal Gear Solid 4 leaves Raiden in a situation where it's like, he's done, he doesn't have to fight anymore, and he can uh, leave behind the idea that he is, like, born and built to kill. Uh, and then Metal Gear Rising is, well, killing is what he's good at, so he'll, he'll <laughs> do that because he needs money. Like PMC, and he's talking, he's like justifying to himself that, like, oh, I will be, like, my sword exists to defend justice. I am, like, the person who's engaging in war because he sort of has to. Uh, but, you know, I'm doing it for just cause, all that, blah, 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 blah. Then halfway through the game, he kind of goes insane. And, uh, like, basically, he's reminded of his past as quote unquote Jack the River, like, this prolific and horrifying child soldier from a civil war from decades ago. And he, like, uh, either, depending upon your interpretation, admits to himself or, like, comes to the decision that uh, he just likes violence and uh, spends much of the rest of the game sort of reveling in violence. Violence for good purposes, but still violence. Like, the end of the game is him. He's left his private, his PMC contract, his contract with, and he seems to basically just be committing murder in, like, South America. It's extremely weird, and his family is never going to see him again. It's honestly kind of a tragedy, but the game doesn't actually act like it knows that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, well, we were talking about before about Mortal Kombat being over the top. Well, in Metal Gear Rising, yeah, you could literally cut an enemy into tiny little pieces, but it was so ridiculous and unrealistic so, uh, that it was actually like, oh, okay, this doesn't bother me. This doesn't make me barf. Yeah, it's, it's still a hundred percent reliant on the idea of your character can swing a katana so fucking fast that you can cut someone <laughs> to nine thousand pieces. Ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's one of those things. It's like it's. It, like, it's a narratively extremely ambitious game that, uh, ironically, Hideo Kojima did not actually touch the narrative, despite it reeking of a lot of his favorite uh, topics, because he admitted that if he was in charge of Metal Gear Rising, that he would not have had, that the game he would have made would have involved Grey Fox from Metal Gear Solid 1 fighting zombies, so uh, he, like, okay. personally decided he could not be involved in that game. <laughs> It sounds like a much less, that temptation. much less interesting game. I wouldn't even say it would have been much less interesting, but it would not have been the same interesting game. Uh, oh, Zim apparently wrote a review for Metal Gear Rising back in the day, and he said this take, the takeaway you got from the story is something to the effect of it tried. <laughs> I, yeah, like, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know that I think it succeeds at what it's trying, but it is trying a lot of things that a lot of games wouldn't, and I do respect that. But, yeah, um, it, it's it's a game that still feels very confused, but it has a lot of great. Uh, it it doesn't. I don't think its story fully comes together, but it has a lot of great writing in it, and so I still dig it. Um, and there was one more question that we were given by dear friend Flavian. Q and A question: 
Why do Persona fans slash guys always refer to social links by the Arcana? And always hear and read Empress Arcana link. No one ever references the Matsuru link. Seems like an unnecessary extra layer of information for subscribers who don't have 20 plus Arcana marks. So the actual well, reason for this... For one thing, the Arcana names are easier to remember than the character names. Yeah, that, that was the thing I was trying to bring up. One is that, like, some of the, some of the Arcana... Uh, like, some of the characters behind the Arcana are spoilers. Like, it's like, oh, you don't know that you'll get an S-Link with this person until you get it. And so, like, saying uh, Blank's Link spoils who's, uh, who has Link's. And the other is that, uh, that the... Uh, especially for a lot of these characters, especially for English-speaking players who don't, uh, don't run into a lot of Japanese names, it's probably easier to remember the Arcana, the Arcana, which is an English word, rather than the character name, and say that every time. Uh, yeah. There's a couple other reasons you would do this, uh, for Persona 3 especially, because a bunch of the Arcana are different uh, between uh, female and female game. For Persona 4, there are a couple of... Uh, there's like the sports arcana, the, which I think is a chariot in that game. But... Uh, it's either chariot or strength, I can't remember. Uh, but the, the sports team S-Link actually is two different people depending upon which sports team you join. And so yes. you want to reference that link as a whole, you would reference that, or you would say the soccer team link, or the basketball team, either of those. But, you know, like, just saying the character's name, it's like, uh, you, you, like, if you were talking about, if you, yeah, you, you just get into all sorts of, like, additional confusions. It's sort of like how, uh, in Street Fighter Phantom, people got sick asking whether you meant the American version of M. Bison or the Japanese version of so they just started calling it. Uh, they just started calling the final boss Dictator, and they started calling the, uh, they, there's Dictator, Boxer, and Claw, because those three names got swapped around, and so it is much easier to make sure that everyone knows what everyone is talking about by only using names that, uh, like, that, names that have never been officially used, but which describe the characters rather than call them by name. So, yeah. There's, there's just a lot of little reasons that make sense. Yeah. And the protagonist is always the fool. Uh, the technically, whole... it's it's usually... Uh, the protagonist is actually usually kind of representing the world. But the, okay. fool, yeah, yeah. the fool is usually the driving uh, context. Yeah. Okay. Right. You know what the fool card means in Terra, right? Yeah, it means it's the... the it's like... The yeah, the start of the journey, they don't have the knowledge yet, they're ignorant, yeah. and the journey teaches them things, yeah. They have infinite possibility with it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah just a second. But, yeah, uh, the protagonist is ultimately built up to reach, uh, to essentially be representative of the world arcana. But, yeah, um, that would be, uh... That, that's all the questions we've been asked, and I don't really. I kind of wanted to get to bed early tonight, so. Yeah, let's so let's wrap it up so we're done by one a.m. Then. Oh, wow. yeah. That's a new record. We we actually started at like eight, uh, at like ten this time, so. Oh, I didn't even know that. Okay. I, I, I was surprised to see that you guys were even on when I get back from lunch. So. Yeah, no, we we yeah. made a specific concerted effort to, or actually, I should say, we started at like eleven. 
Yeah, it's my my wife is working late tonight, so it's just like I can start whenever because I have nothing else to do. Yeah, and I wanted to get uh, wanted to get done early, so yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But tell us about a different book. To, uh, tell us about a book to read. <laughs> yes, Wheels, tell us about a book to read. Yes, you should read uh, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor. Uh, I just finished part two, where okay. the princesses adventure in a um, magical forest, I think would be the best way to describe it. <laughs> it's something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. And have to discover its secrets. Uh, it's it's very fun, and the interactions between the princesses and their real life counterparts continue to be entertaining. Uh, so I highly recommend it to anyone. And uh, like I said before, I have not read a lot of books in recent years, just because kids less free time and most of that's taken up by video games and comics. So uh, the fact that I have read through these books tells you that they are good, because if they weren't. <laughs> It would never have happened. <laughs> wow. so now, now type that up and put that on the Amazon review site, please. Oh, okay. God. Okay. <laughs> I'll help make sure that he gets it done. Uh-huh. Eventually, eventually. I mean, it's taken, yeah. this, it's taken this long to get him through episode two. It's true. Well, I, I mostly meant I'll make sure he actually writes the review. <laughs> oh, it's true. He will bug me until I do it. He has the power. Sometimes. One sword keeps another sword, and it's she. This is called mutually assured destruction. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Well, that takes care of uh, that. But for those who are not aware, it's available on Amazon in Kindle and Kindle Unlimited, and as uh, paperbacks. Uh, I believe it's how many parts in a paralogue? Um. Let's see. Currently, we have nine episodes, two side quests, and the paralogue. Oh, Zim is Zim is interested. Yes, Zim, you should be the next customer for these books. Do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, excellent. That'd be great. Um, and also, technically, two, um, episodes ten and eleven actually written down, not published yet, because I'm still getting work on cover art, and a side quest three as well. And yeah, it, it's it's still going on. I just have yeah. I assumed that you were done. Like you were done so. Yeah. But yeah, uh, so yeah, those are available. Uh, they will be listed under author Michael Yarimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U. Give them a look. Um, let's see. Uh, oh. uh, Joe is currently in the chat saying to watch Ask Wheels play through his Mario Maker 2 levels on YouTube. Uh I don't know what Wheels is. He tried uh, to link in YouTube, called. and I don't think it lets you do that in the chat. Yeah, yeah. Explain the asterisks. It's also <laughs> not on my two YouTube. It's on his YouTube. Yeah, so I tried to plug that in the chat, and it says link deleted. It's so, auto moderation stuff. Right. So I I am on Twitch and YouTube, and if you go to Smoke and Joe eighty six on YouTube, then yeah, you can type that in uh, ask wheels plays mario maker or whatever so you might get a kick out of that i don't know just thought i'd plug that real quick oh it's entertaining especially the f- me failing at the first two levels so often yeah it's 45 minutes out of your day you can spend that time yeah. um 
but I, I haven't uh, done any Twitch streaming in, I don't know, a week or two. I just I just haven't really felt like it. I've been kind of busy, and there was family in town. My my dad was in town, so and he's mm -hmm. going back. So so I, I may end up streaming again, maybe not tomorrow, but maybe Saturday, and then maybe next week. We'll see. Mm -hmm. So anyone who cares. Well, give him a follow if you can. Um, let's see. Um, Wheels can also be watched on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash AskWheels. Usually streaming on Wednesday evenings, Q&A quest. Usually we're on at 9 uh, Pacific, midnight Eastern, but we were a bit early this, this uh, week. Don't think that's going to be a pattern, but, you know can always be nice uh, occasion yeah yeah but yeah and uh also on sunday nights uh usually around 9 p.m pacific midnight eastern uh we do shenanigans where wheels will play something and i'll be very mean to him while he does it uh <laughs> <laughs> are we doing hellpoint or whatever uh i'm not sure what we're doing this week yet but hellpoint is on the docket in the near future, yes. That's the game I've wanted do you, to do. You like that game? Yes. Okay. Well, it's like Dark Souls in space, but I got to this freaking ridiculous boss that I could not beat. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like that sort of game. In any yeah. case, uh, yeah, that, that, that's on Sunday nights. Uh, oh, yeah, and this, a... speaking of my Twitch, uh, Dave and I, back in the day, did a YouTube series called Adventures in Platforming, uh, which... And hopefully that's coming back. Yes. Yeah, it's bring going, it back. It's going to be... We're going to do some more platforming streams, which is going to start whenever my copy of the Klonoa collection comes in. Um, and uh, I don't think I'm going to try and edit it a lot like I did the old videos. I think I'm just going to mostly going to be stream archives. But... Yeah, but it'll be on YouTube, but there'll, there'll also be streams. Uh, but yeah, I actually tried to do like an intro video and stuff that I'm not very good at doing, and that slowed the down that whole... Thing is long and yeah, it slowed down that whole process, so I think just dumping out the, the streams will be just fine. So I'm going to do that. I have... I've picked up another number of uh, games getting ready for that, including... including uh, Tie the Tasmanian Tiger 1 and 2 on Switch. And. Okay. Uh, what is this game called? Poi. P P O I. It's like an indie Mario 64 clone type game. Yeah, that was from like four or five years ago, I think. Yeah, I've played it a bit in the past. It's pretty decent. Yeah, it's a cute little game. That'll be another one. And I was going to do. Um, Balan Wonderworld as a this game sucks but as it turns out it's merely mediocre and not all that interesting which is honestly probably worse it is yeah, yeah. I was going to say it's not um, it's not entertainingly know. bad like we Joe and I tried to play yeah. the multiplayer which would be like okay this is going to be really terrible and entertaining and that was just like this is a god awful way to implement this yeah, because there's no split. There's no split screen. There's no forcing both characters on the screen at the same time. It was just 
Um, if the second player wanders off, you cannot see them. Yep. Can they not see them? That would be really funny. <laughs> I, don't I don't remember. It was, yeah. it was bad. So that well, that was a deal we made. The deal was he'll finally play my Mario Maker levels if I play Balan Wonderworld, and we both suffered that day. It yeah, was it was it great. Was... <laughs> well, the, well, the Mario levels were great. The Balan was just like, why? why? Yes. So. I maintain that my levels are tough but fair. Okay. So yes, I will shortly not be the owner of Balan Wonderworld. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where it's like. It's like the thing that allows people to rip into a game real bad uh, is, and, and part of the reason that Battle Wonder World, despite being met with horrible reviews, did not leave much of a mark other than like its complete destruction of Yuji Naka's sanity, is uh, simply that it's outside of the context of, oh, this is just kind of boring, it's just not that interesting. Yeah, it's, right. it's got pleasant music. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like this. This is like the very. This is bare bones 3D platforming. A nothing sort of game. Yeah, it's like I'm I'm jumping and there's jumping puzzles and sliding, sliding, jumping, jumping. It feels like an unfinished Saturn prototype, to be honest. (laughs) I love Sonic. But yeah, um, moral of the story is uh, fuck that guy. That's the moral of the story. So yeah, adventures <laughs> okay. in platforming is to some extent coming Yuji back. Yuji Naka. Uh, yeah. Just just make another Nights into Dreams game. God damn no, it. no, it's it's never gonna happen no. again because that dude is insane. Okay. I don't think he was involved in the last one either. The, the Wii one. That one. It's, it's bad. I, tr- I tried. <laughs> I just don't like motion controls. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I think the uh, Knights and his general novelty would be kind of lost in this, in this day and age. Um, I think if I replayed it, I would not like it. So I, I don't think he'd even dislike it. I just think it wouldn't be terrifying enchanting. No. So. True. No, I should uh, replay is Croc. Why did that randomly come into my mind? I don't know. But whatever. I, w- I, I want to play Croc. I can list off Croc games. It's you should play... I it within the last year. <laughs> you should play Bug from the Sega Saturn. No. You should go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I rented that game as a kid, and it was it ruined my whole weekend. Yeah, that's... Let me tell you about renting Lester the Unlikely. Um, I, I owned Crack on Saturn, and it made me want to just go play Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, Crack is a very depressing leap. It's like it's not hor- it's it's not horrible. It's just mediocre. Um, oh, you know what? I know no one wants us to stream anything Activision related, but for the sake of the developer, there will be a Crash Four stream. R.I.P. Toys for Bob. Because yeah, um, that game fucking rules. Oh, it's free it's on PlayStation Plus right yes, now. Yes, download it because it's, it's absolutely fantastic. But also immediately forget about getting all the gems or the relics. Yes, don't do that. That's stupid. Um, but yeah. Um, okay. Uh, that out of the way. Uh, yeah. Um, I th- oh, yeah. Uh, we also... Uh, should be aware that we 
uh, you can ask us questions like our dear friends who interact in the chat, like uh, Joe and Lassam on Earth, and uh, those those lovely chat people. You can ask us if you uh, choose to catch us on the stream, or you can ask us questions in the Discord, like lovely friends Firemeyer and Bloody M3 did. Uh, we love hearing from you. Uh, I did not actually look if there were any questions in the comments. I'm inclined to say there probably weren't. There haven't been in months, but I'll try to keep track of that in the future. But yeah, um, we always love hearing questions. Uh, if you aren't part of the Discord, you can join it by going to rpgamer.com and clicking the community tab. That'll get you a Discord invite link. You should do it even if you don't intend to ask us questions, because it's a lovely community full of people who have uh, like and non-like opinions on RPGs <laughs> that are worth it. You can have all, all the things you want as long as you're not being an asshole. Um, yes, and you may be trolled by me. You'll do it very obviously and very unsuccessfully. Huh. It's sort of like watching a like very small dog bark at the door. Yes. Um, oh, my, oh my god, Heavy, we are like 100 subs away from our goal. That joke is not going to work like it worked in my sister's stream. <laughs> we need all the subs. <laughs> so many subs. Uh but yeah, so that's uh that's where we're at at the moment. Um but yeah. So, you know, join the RP Gamer Discord and ask us questions or just, you know, discuss your favorite RPGs. Yes. And RPGs or get trolled by like get trolled by me. Because I'm a low level it's, internet troll. Again, this is this is really like a very, very small dog barking at the door because someone walked by it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so yeah, there's your, uh, that's, that's Q&A quest for you. Um, but yeah, I think that's all we've got. Thank you once again to Joe, Last Them on Earth, uh, Fireminer, and Platinum 3 for the questions, but otherwise... I'm multitasking. I've noticed. <laughs> See ya, Space Cowboys. See ya. See ya. See ya.